25 years ago, we sent you out to Asbury to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. Phil was the outgoing youth pastor, and I was the one who moved into his office. And I had the nameplates of Steve Dangaren, Phil Christensen in my desk, and then I added my own nameplate to it. Now, the nameplate has changed, and Chris is in that office. Um, but you guys have had a journey, an adventure at Osbury in Kentucky, truly an adventure, doing seminary, but then 23 years at Foothills Church in Cameron Park, mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. And um, they've been so faithful in ministry, and they are my friends. Um, but they are also, they've also been sent out from this house. And I believe that Neighborhood Church really have not, has not stayed in contact with you the way that we should have. And we're changing that today. <laughs> and, uh, and so I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless your marriage. I bless the ministry that you put your hands to. I bless the intimacy, not only between the two of you, but with your children and grandchildren now. I bless your finances and your health. I bless your extended family. May your mothers step into life to the fullest, even in this season of their lives. And may you see the goodness of the land of the living. I bless you, my friends. I sure love you. Sorry to embarrass you. I couldn't resist. We needed to happen. All right. Okay. Very well done. Get away from me. All right. So I saw an opportunity and I took it. And um, thank you to Liz Thrasher-Wheatley, who was supposed to facilitate this morning, and I bumped her. She, you will, we will see her again. I promise she's, she's not going anywhere, and she's just lots of love for her. But I saw an opportunity for my buddy Phil and I to have a conversation, and I thought, I am not going to miss this opportunity. So um, just by way of introduction. Where are we going this morning, Andrew? What are you doing? Um, Let me share with you just a few verses here. We're going to share some stories and have a conversation specifically about sharing your faith. It's something that we should talk more about and we don't. It's something that's critical as far as if we want a faith that grows. It was Billy Graham who said, our faith becomes stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. And I believe many of us are absolutely frightened and terrified of the idea of sharing our faith. We feel like somehow we're going to shove a Bible down someone's throat. I could illustrate that, but Don't we're not going to do that. No. But, but really, it's all about the context of relationship. It's in the little book of Philemon where it says this, I, thank, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. If I'm looking at that clearly, every time we share our faith, there's a sense of the goodness of God that gets delivered to our hearts that begin to explode from the inside out, which gets us more and more life to the fullest that Jesus came to bring us. So that thought, that idea that we would be people who are sharing our faith is, well, it, it, it feels like it's, it's almost a passe thing for so many people. And yet it's really when we're sharing our faith that we're most alive. And 
It's in 1 Thessalonians where Paul is talking about how important these people are to him. And he says, we do not need to say anything about our love for you. Um, he goes on to say this. Why? It's why I always want to have it in one. Thank you, Phil. We loved you so much. Chapter 2. Not chapter one. See, I get corrected all the time. It worked together. It's good. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. There's a sense that oftentimes we boil down sharing our faith just to delivering a tract or giving the information, but there's a larger context, and that's what we're going to talk about this yeah, morning. The bigger, the bigger, the best context. Right. So let's start with a story. Okay. So I met Phil. He is the president of Lambda Chi at Chico State. He is singing in the choir uh, with myself and later Linda and others at Chico State. We were singing amazing music at an, at an incredible level. And we even got to take an international trip together for, to Eastern Europe and Russia. And in this context, Phil is my friend and I love him. That's where it begins and ends. Phil is not a project. He's not someone that I'm, that I'm just kind of waiting around, like when is he going to figure out his life? I'm not standing there thinking, why are you doing the, living these ways, Phil? It's, this is Phil, and I'm going to love him where he is. And so, Phil, did you have any kind of Christian background in your life? Was there any kind of Jesus before Chico State? <laughs> no, Chico State was not helpful for the Jesus factor. No. Uh, I, I had gone to church as a, as a kid, uh, my mom took my sister and I to Episcopal Church because church makes good kids and she wanted good kids. But by the time I was about 12, maybe 13, I'm out. Because I, I saw some things amongst the people in that church that were so unkind that I thought, if this is church, I'm not going. And that was it. Yeah. That was the extent of it for me. 42%, we talked about this last Sunday, 42% of people who were polled said, why don't you want to follow Jesus? They said, the hypocrisy in the church. Right. Still, that's a current stat, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got, this, you've got this background of faith, but you never, well, before that, you hadn't surrendered to Jesus. Right. In fact, you kind of pushed away from it. And you meet me. Did you know I was a Jesus follower? That's the first question. Uh, not at first. You didn't have a sign hanging on you that says, you know, I love Jesus. I forgot it at home, I'm sure. Uh, you did wear your Michael W. Smith, you know. A hundred percent. Stuff. It was the early 90s. Yes, it was. It, it was, uh, yeah, the very earliest of the 90s. Oh, it was so early. And so, but I didn't, know, I didn't know anything about that. I, all I knew as far as you, Andrew, I just knew that you were my friend. Um, he wasn't weird. That's debatable. If you ask, if you ask Linda, she would debate that. Well, but, she lives but with weird you. in what way? Uh, yeah, but you weren't weird. It wasn't. It wasn't. Our friendship wasn't this contrived effort sort of thing. He wasn't. He wasn't obscure in his conversation. You weren't. You just weren't weird to be around. I laughed with you. I had fun with you. Um, I didn't feel like I was, you know, somehow different. Right. But your kindness was a unique thing to me. There was a gentleness and a kindness 
that I wasn't familiar with, certainly not fraternally, and definitely not growing up. Um, that piece about your faith, though, became very evident to me when we were on that tour. So it was concentrated time together yeah. where you started realizing he's not just nice. Right. There's something else going on. That's right. That's right. And the nut and bolts of it, friends, are on that tour three weeks, um, the team that, that assembled um, all of us, wrangled us, deliberately had us room with different people so we wouldn't get on each other's nerves. Three weeks in you know, foreign lands and hotel after hotel, it's easy to happen. But what was interesting, and this is God's orchestration, what was very interesting was that I only had two roommates. There was tons of guys, only had two roommates. It was Andrew or another guy named Chuck. And most of the time it was Andrew. And in all of that, I watched Andrew, you know, in the evenings he'd be spending time in his Bible um, in the in the days we you know we're having meals and you know he's he's bowing his head to pray now when you're eating in Russia it it's wise for everyone to bow your head and pray because you, you should don't go know ahead what and pray for it ahead of time yeah but I I just I noticed I I watched him on the bus he would sit often next to me or near me and and we'd be talking and I'd watch him interact and I began to realize um, after about two weeks in that what Andrew had is what I needed. So, in the midst of loving someone, you don't go, I wonder where Phil is exactly on this journey. It's, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the work. I lift up Jesus, and Jesus draws all men to himself. That's right. So, there's not a striving in this. There's a sense of, this is what I was created to do, and Phil's really easy to love. That makes it even, I mean, that's like falling off a log to be with Phil, which is helpful even after 30 plus years of being together, right? Um, so, Phil, you're, you're getting little bits and parts, and at a certain point, you finally decided, okay, I'm going to do something about this. Tell them about that. Yeah, it was super interesting. It was very rare for, uh, for us on the team to ever really be alone, because you're just, there's 55 of us, and uh, to, to be alone at any given point was really weird, and I happened to be alone in my hotel room in Russia. It was before dinner. And it was that realization that what Andrew has is what I need, and I wasn't quite sure what, what to do about that. But as an Episcopal kid, I knew that when you prayed at church, you knelt down on the little kneeling bar. So I just got on my knees, and I said, God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are, and if you'll take me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And I tell you what, this, this part gets me because I don't know if any of you ever wore coveralls as a kid, you know, and if, any, and if you did, you know what I'm going to say probably because somebody would grab you behind you and pick you up by those coveralls and you got the wedgie. The, the weirdest part about that whole thing was I'm on my knees and, I'm, and I, I say that to God. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I felt like he just picked me up without the wedgie. Like he just picked me up and I felt like I could breathe for the very first time in my life. And I don't know how long I was in that moment, but very unmistakably the Holy Spirit moved in in that moment. And it was almost dinner time, like I said, so I went down and Andrew had saved me a seat next to him. 
So Every, that's what love looks like, by the way. That's right. Save a seat. Intention. Uh-huh. And I, I sat down, and he bowed his head to pray, and I bowed my head to pray, and we're, we're eating. And out of nowhere, he stops. And he looks right at me, and he goes, something happened with you and God. And then I was embarrassed. I felt like, I got, you know, the kid got caught kissing the girl at prom. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, what? And so I just, I began to tell him what, like, what had just unfolded. And he began to unpack with, did you realize? And it's, he began to walk me through. Do you realize what's just happened? Do you realize what you've done? Do you, under, and it just, and I'm just taking it all in. I'm just like, I, clueless, but excited and nervous and totally uneducated. And, and that began, you know, Andrew just walking with me in a, in a, as my friend and in a whole different way. I love hearing that story. I never, it always gets to me. I can't make it through. Um, because this is the Jesus that we serve. He's That's still right. changing lives today. You might have lost hope for that because it's been a while since you've seen someone walk through that transformative process. Right. Jesus is still saving lives. He's not just a good, I'm preaching now, it's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. you go. Uh, he's not just a good idea. He's not just something that you subscribe to. He's a person who wants a personal relationship with you. And when you surrender to him, your life will change. He will change you from the inside out. And it's not about striving because the Holy Spirit moves in and begins to live inside you. And to give you the power and the love to be able to live out the life that he's called us to. Exactly right. And that's the life to the fullest that Jesus said he came to bring us. So, Phil, you come to Christ and how does your life change, I suppose, <laughs> is the question. Okay, so uh, literally, I'd become president of the fraternity in May. I get to know Jesus like the first week in June. And then I got the tour that we're on to finish for another week or so. And I come back and I tell my live-in girlfriend, we got to make some changes she didn't want to make those changes. So I was like, okay, well, you got to go then. That was over. Gratefully, though, I didn't quit being the president. Because here's what I learned. The Lord knows me, and he knows that either I was going to completely waffle in my walk with him if I stayed there, or I was going to have to go deep. So I'm like, well, let's go deep. And so I'm, you know, regularly connected with this guy. Started coming here. Um, was listening to KKXX on the radio from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I just left it on because they went off the air at 6, and I'd listen to Bible teachers in the day and read my Bible. And as I was reading my Bible, I came to understand that my fraternity uh, used to be a Christian gentleman's club, and you had to be a Christian to get in, and the rituals that we so enjoyed were full of Scripture. Yep. I'd memorized vast chunks of the Bible and didn't know it. <laughs> God had been preparing me. So now I'm talking with these, these other young men um, without beer. And they're asking me, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know that part in ritual where it says X, Y, Z? They're like, yeah. I said, that's in the Bible. They're like, shut up. Like, yeah. And then I'm, I'm showing them. They said to shut up differently. 
but that's the net net. And, and I would show them over and over. And there were guys, friends, there were people who had walked away from Jesus who came back to Jesus. There were people who didn't know what to do with Jesus and still didn't know what to do with me, but were at least willing to have conversation. And again, it wasn't because I knew everything. I was a complete newbie and ignorant of so much, but God had been setting groundwork. So what I began to do was try to live faithfully for Jesus in front of these guys and then figure out how do I do this um, in a healthy kind of way. Because, I mean, I had established, I didn't get elected president because of my leadership skills. So I had to do some things radically different and trying to figure out how do I do that and, and it started, like I said, coming here, attended the evangelism explosion class, um, found out within just a few months of, of being part of things here that there was a need for some junior high ministry, you know, helpers. And I thought, man, if somebody told me about Jesus when I was in junior high, that could have made a difference. And so I started volunteering with junior high. And those kids all knew way more than me. Lauren, Lauren knows. Yeah, Lauren knows. So that was kind of the beginning, but it was, it was all like super relational. But I kind of, I'm going I'm to go back real quick. When he, he and I were friends and long before I knew Jesus, one of the things that Andrew did was invite me here to participate in the college men versus high school men football game out on the field. He said, we need some big men. And I'm like, okay. So I came out and we played this, you know, game of football. Well, Rich Taylor, who was one of the pastors here, I didn't know that, but Rich was our coach. And, you know, he's giving us the talk and he's, you know, doing all the coachy kinds of things. And, and when we left, you know, later I'm like, who was the guy who was our coach? And he said, oh, that's Pastor Rich. I'm like, that guy's a pastor? And it wasn't because he'd done anything wrong, but all my whole experience, he had the needed a little white collar. I mean, that guy was a pastor. And it gave me a whole different perspective on what pastors, like, could be like. And when I began to attend here, within probably the first couple of weeks, turns out Rich Taylor was the interim pastor. And so... God plugs me in here, and I look up, and it's the guy I know who's the coach. So it was real natural for me and very warm. But again, a relational piece that you had pushed my way that God used to build. Yeah, it's Jehovah Networker. He is the God of networking, right? And, uh, and he wants us to use our relationships to connect people together. Yeah. Why? Because we need to do life with people. We That's need right. to actually show what Jesus looks like with skin on. Now, so thinking about the context of sharing your life as well, showing, sharing the gospel and your life as well. Phil, tell me, we see Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And I really believe it's your actual neighbor as well as other people that are in proximity. I think your neighbor is sometimes the hardest person to love because you've got that squabble about the fence or the dogs barking or the loud music or the kids, you know, taking off in the middle of the night or whatever, the smell, the, the leaf blower at the 7 leaf, Oh yeah, that's great. So tell me about how, what does it look like for you to love in this way in your neighborhood? You tell me a story about that. 
Okay. Um, there is one neighbor in particular who's immediately adjacent to us, to the, to the right of our house. Uh, his name is Kevin. And uh, single guy, about 10 years older than me. And I just, when we moved in, he, he came over and said, hi, you know, and um, I think I met him on the way out to, you know, taking our trash bins out to the curb. And we just began to kind of chat. I lived next to Kevin and spoke to him regularly on surfacey kinds of levels. He knew that I was a, a pastor. Uh, I knew where he worked. He knew all my kids. Um, he, even my youngest Noah, uh, did some yard work for him, you know, pulling weeds and the things that kids will do, and Kevin overpaid him for it. And, and in the process of, <laughs> of pulling weeds for Mr. Kevin, um, Noah shared the gospel with Kevin. And Kevin didn't do anything about it. He thought it was sweet. Um, and he told me later, he goes, you're not going to believe what happened. Your son just preached the gospel to me. I'm like, what? What happened? He goes, you just tell me about how I need Jesus and how Jesus loves me. And, and I'm like, well, that's great. He goes, I thought it was so sweet. I called my sister and told my sister. Well, he, but he didn't do anything with it. He came, you know, as time went by, my kids graduated from high school, and he would, he would give them cards with generous amounts of money inside. He didn't want to come to the party. He just wanted to give them a card. Came when my kids continued to grow. They, he came to the weddings. Kevin is no longer my neighbor. He's moved to Nevada. He didn't come to Christ yet while he lived next to me. We talk more now that he's gone than we did when he lived next door. It took nine years. I lived next to him for 14 years, 13 years. It took nine years before I ever knew one smidgen of his story because he had been so broken by a Christian that the whole idea of Jesus and church just, he couldn't, he couldn't consider it. It just, he was so, so wounded. Took nine years. And it wasn't until he was getting ready to move that we, we sat down together. We agreed we were going to sit down and drink a beer and smoke a cigar in his backyard. And we sat out there for four and a half hours. And he poured out his life. Maybe not his life. So much that I, I, I did not know about him. He just poured it out. And that was the, the, the little tiny seed of an intimate friendship that has now continued. We talk, he texts me at Christmas. Every Sunday morning when I'm at church, once somebody posts on Facebook, you know, they do the, the, they attended whatever, and my name's in the list, and he's always there saying he likes that I was at church. And he's always there, like for our anniversary, he'll make a post, Congrat happy anniversary. He, he texted me on Christmas morning. This last Christmas, I think it was this last Christmas, he texted me and he said, God bless. So this guy, as far as I know, he doesn't yet know Jesus. But Jesus loves him. And I love him. My, my bride, Nancy, loves him. He knows that. And we're just going to keep loving him even from a distance. He's no longer my physical neighbor but he is my neighbor. 
and the house next door is still Kevin's house. That's how we refer to it. So that's, that's one of, it, friends, we're talking, we're talking about the long game. This isn't a how do I get you to sign on the bottom line today. We're not selling used cars. We're talking about eternity. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep investing and loving on Kevin. And God, by his grace, he'll come to know Jesus. Yeah, the studies say that people hear the gospel, they have to hear it six to or seven times before they generally respond. Right. That's a lot of consistency. But they also need to see consistency in our life. They need to see that Jesus actually can transform your life and give you the power to live this life more than a good idea. We were just at a conference. Share this money oh, quote this is, with yeah. us. guy named Mark Ashton, he's a lead pastor at Christ Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska, stood up and said to us, every man, woman, and child deserves to hear the gospel from someone they love. Not someone that loves them, but from someone they love. And I got to thinking, who in my life, not my family, they're almost all default, they love me. I said almost. People around me, people that I would call friend, maybe Kevin, when he thinks about me, when he thinks about our family, when he thinks about the Christensen clan who live next door, what do you think? I love those guys. Because the key in all of it, your relationship with me as a great example, when you hear the gospel from someone you love, you can receive it in a way that doesn't feel threatening it doesn't feel like they're trying to jam a Bible down your throat. It doesn't feel like they're condemning you and pointing their finger at you and saying, you're a blow it, you need Jesus because you're such a mess up. Nah. I'm, I'm sharing this with you because you know I love you and it's received that way. That quote has been rattling around in my brain since the end of May or beginning of June. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. We were hypothesizing on, so what do you, who do you think coined him that? Oh, yeah. So think, just consider that, right? Jesus gets accused in Matthew 9 and, and later in, in Matthew 11 and all over the place in the Gospels, you know, of being a friend of sinners. Who, who said that he was the friend? I mean, clearly the Pharisees accused him of such, but how did that get back to them? Was it the sinner's? who said, that's my friend? Because I don't know that Jesus was skipping around going, there's my friend and there's my friend and there's my friend. <laughs> my estimation is, my guess, my speculation is that it was the sinners, it was the fringy people, it was the disconnected, it was the backslidden, it was those who were far from God who said, that guy's my friend. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting perspective because Jesus had no problem hanging out with the rabble and they would call him friend and he would call them friend. We know later he called them friend. 
That's, a, that's an interesting perspective because we can find ourselves in our neighborhood, with our family, in whatever sphere of influence we have at work or in the, the community where folks who are far from God and deeply loved by God need real friends. Men in the room, men listening online. How many core gut level raw friends do you have? How many guys do you really have in your life? I'm not talking about the friendly competitors at work. Because that's why most guys don't have friends. Because you start revealing your soul and now they've got fodder to, to fire your direction and try to step over you. core, deep, gut level, they know all your ish. That's the kind of friends we're talking about because when those people begin to speak life, the truth of Christ, those are the people you hear from. You could be those people with those friends. Heart deep, life deep. Okay, I'm going to stop preaching. That's why I asked you. I knew you would. <laughs> um, I have a neighbor who um, we've just been loving on for the last few years. And one of the first things, I mean, I try to keep it a secret that I'm a pastor as long as, as possible. As long as possible. Because as soon as they find out, they treat you like the third gender. gender men, women, and pastors. Oh, right. you're a pastor? Oh. Yeah, and all of a sudden, all the oh, colorful my. language becomes shucks and darns. Oh. <laughs> Would you like a sparkling water? <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, if I have a few stories that I could tell you that are pretty hilarious. But um, she said this simply to me, don't try to convert me. I'm like, whoa, that was a little strong. Hi, hi. No, uh, I'm not going, uh, you know, I just, and this is what I said. No, we are just going to love you because we believe in living like the one that we follow, and that's Jesus. Mm. He loves you, so we're going to love you. And that's where it sits, right? So now when we recently threw a party for her twin sister's baby, I guess they call it a baby shower, and we brought all the stuff and we helped out, her sister got it. Her sister said, so you're a pastor and you're, why are you doing all this stuff? Oh, because you're like Jesus. That's what she said. Bingo. And I went, oh, I'm like Jesus. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's awesome, right? But people, they'll know we're Christians if we have love for one another. Yeah. This is the command of Jesus that we continue to come back to. It is that command that sets us apart from the world. And in the midst of all this, First Peter says this, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And while we're talking a lot about living, giving our lives as well in love, there's still an aspect of being ready to share the gospel. Absolutely. Both of us took a class called Evangelism Explosion when we were in college. And that probably set the course for us to know. But what would you say? Because I think there's some people who would say, I'm not good at this. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. Right. Yada, yada, yada. So what would you say to that? I'm not an evangelist either. 
But that doesn't matter. Because what Christ has called me to is to love him and make him known. To love him, to love others. Well, I can't love, I can't genuinely love you and care about you if I don't tell you about Jesus. I don't have to poke you in the eye. But if you know, if you know in your deepest heart that I care about you and I begin to share with you what, how Jesus is just a, working in my everyday life, what's going on, how, how Christ has ministered to me in tough spaces or worked in our marriage or whatever it may be, raising our kids, that ability to tie in and have that sort of conversation with someone that I care about is just as natural as breathing. So it's not about a giftedness for evangelism. It's not even... To be honest with you, it's not even about evangelism explosion because frankly, there was some great learning material in there, but stylistically, there's a lot more kind of, it feels more like eye poking. And I'd rather not wound people to try to get them to say, yeah, I need Jesus. I'd rather love them into the kingdom because if I can, if I can talk them into Jesus, our Mormon friend down the street can probably talk them out. I don't want to convince anybody in. I want them to, I want them to, to say, I want, gee, I want to know this one you know. I want to know this one who changed your life. So I've got to be able, I've got to be ready though to tell them my story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, in this place is in the best sense of the word, notorious for telling story. Yes. Story, if, if you have any connection with Jesus, you've got a story. Right. Tell your story. People can't argue with your story. And people love to hear stories. What did Jesus do in your life? Yeah. How have you changed? What was it like before? <laughs> like I said, I could tell you stories of what it was like before. It was not pretty. But then what's it like now? What's he done? What's he doing? What's today like? Sometimes today stinks. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Tell them. Yep, that's right. Today stinks. Yep. But Jesus is still good. Yep. Two things I think that are core for us. Um, one is vulnerability, and you just mentioned that, right? If you live the perfect Christian life in front of people, you make Jesus completely inaccessible. Yeah, pause. Hold that. Got it? Raise your hand if you live the perfect Christian life. Right. Right. Yeah. So don't pretend like you do. Yeah. Vulnerability is, will give someone else freedom to share with you. Yeah. They're not going to share their life with you. They're not going to sit in the backyard and pour out their life if you haven't been willing to take the lead. Now, mind you, maybe there's a little bit of a, a ramping up process. Maybe yeah. not on the first time you meet to say, let me tell you all the things oh. about my life. That's too fat, <laughs> too close, too fast. And you will just scare them away and they will run away, right? Yeah. Vulnerability. The other one is testimony, and Phil just hit on that as well. You have a story to tell. Being ready at, to give a hope for the, the, the reason for the hope that lies in you doesn't mean that you know exactly why dinosaurs aren't in the Bible, and you're going to answer that question right yeah. away. You go, old earth or new earth? <laughs> if right. You, if you think you have to have all the answers before you're ready to share the gospel with and, somebody. And you will never do it. No. And you know what? I'm a pastor. Everybody expects me to have the answers. And one of my favorite answers is, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. Wait, you don't, you're not perfect? No. You don't know how the whole Bible memorized? No. 
You don't know all the answers? I'm just learning like you. And that's one of the sweet spots, though. That was one of the freedoms for me as a new believer, realizing that I don't have to have all the answers because I know the one who does. That's right. So I may not know, but I can go to the Father. Yep. Last point, and then we'll let you guys get to lunch. Um, Really? This has been so much fun. Oh, my gosh. I quit already? Just pinch me. Um, So you see Jesus sending out disciples two by two, Matthew 10, Luke 10. And he says, you know, go into a town and look for where your peace rests. And if your peace rests on a house, then, then you stay there. And if it doesn't, you just brush off your feet and you, you just keep on rolling, right? There's this concept of a person of peace that I've always thought about, especially in my neighborhood, right? I can't build a Kevin relationship with everybody in my whole neighborhood. It, there's, there's no, it's not physically possible time-wise, Right? But I can look to see where Jesus is already working and join him in that work. My one neighbor that I mentioned who will remain nameless, Jesus is already working there. And our goal is to be the closest thing to a mom and dad in this young person's life as we can. Because it's what Jesus looks like. And what will happen? I don't know. That's part of the adventure. But she knows where we stand and... We've prayed for her. We've prayed with her. She didn't spit us out. She, we have been living our life in front of her, not compromising, saying, oh, no, we better not pray because such and such is here. No. This is what we do. We pray before dinner. Now, we're not going to go, oh, Lord, how incredibly huge you are. Thou Thank hast you. brought us this. Thank you for the fruit bats and the breakfast cereals and the orangutans. Right. No, we don't need none of that, right? So... I think as we talked, as we've talked about this, just eyes up. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe give us a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah. One of the things that we, are, um, we corporately are prone to is just kind of head down doing your business, whatever it is you're doing in life. But as Jesus people, we need to be, we need to be head up, eyes up. We need to be looking at people seeing them. Uh, Chris mentioned it earlier, you know, we see you down at the Dream Center. Prohodas are fantastic at that. Eyes up, noticing, so that when Jesus says, right there, she needs to hear me from you. You can go, and you can be the gentle touch of the kind word or whatever it may be, but it doesn't happen unless your eyes up and you're intentionally looking. Andrew and I were kind of teasing. I was mentioning to my congregation a couple of weeks ago that some of us wouldn't recognize an opportunity to share the gospel if it kissed us on the lips because we haven't yet cultivated uh, an eyes up Jesus, where are you working so that I can join you kind of life? And that perhaps, next to our own intimacy with Jesus, is, is one of the, the most important pieces. If my head is down and I'm just grinding through my day, I'm going to miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. So Lord, teach me to be an eyes up person and tune my heart to see and to recognize the opportunities that arise so that I can just go love somebody. I don't have to get them to sign anything. I'm just going to go love them. Final thought for us before I close up? 
Thank you. Thank you for being my friend. Your friendship changed the trajectory of my eternity. He didn't know we were going to do this, so just so you know, it's like he hasn't pre, you know, advanced worked these tears. But your willingness to just live like Jesus in front of me, it it changed my whole everything. It changed not just my life, but it it changed how I do relationship with my bride. It changed my my family of origin. We could have some stories. It changed, I don't know how many other lives because you just, you just loved me. Not Project Phil, but my friend Phil. Um, so thank you for that. And friends, I was talking with um, Ray Johnson yesterday at, at your gathering and Ray invested big time into me as a, as a new believer along with Chuck and along with, with Roger and, and others. I don't know what the line of people are going to be like who will say thank you to you for sharing Jesus and life with me because they got to know him through me and through others who know me. Who, you know, it's, it's the ultimate wonderful Jesus-centered pyramid scheme where the downline goes crazy. The downline goes berserk because you don't know who's underneath there. But one day, as Ray and I were talking yesterday, one day we'll have the joy of being in the presence of Christ and see how and where that went. People that we never knew who came to Jesus because one person was faithful. So thank you. And to you too for being faithful and loving me and loving my bride and loving my kids and just making a difference. I long for you to get to hear something like that from someone someday. Because when you realize that the Holy Spirit's doing the work, right? He's doing the heavy lifting. I, I'm, I've got the light into the couch for sure. Like he's, he's, he's letting me think that I'm carrying it, but he's really, it's like when you have a little kid, you know, and, the, and they're like, let's lift this up together. And the dad is doing 98% of the work. And then the kid's like, look at me, I'm doing it. And that's us with God, right? I'm like, look at me. And he's like, oh, not great. Yes, you're doing it. Good job. And the long obedience in the same direction of loving people is worth it. It's worth it. Why? Because they'll know we are Jesus followers if we have love for one another. And it's not all fun and games. It, it's hard. There are times when you, you want to throttle the person that you're trying to love. And yet God is faithful. And he, the Holy Spirit, God has the Father has poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we might have love for one another, Romans 5.5. 5. So you've got everything you need. And um, as you move forward in this season, I think there's a lot of seats here, Phil. There's a lot of seats in this place. There's room for your friend. Yep. There is room for your roommate. There is room for the person that you just met here. And I think we need to begin to focus on finding ways to draw people in. Because if life with Jesus is as good for you as it is for me, you, you have to tell everybody about it. Sure. Because it will change everything. Just as it did for Phil Christensen. 
Thank you so much for allowing us to have a conversation with you this morning. And uh, stand up. I'd love to pray for you. It's an awkward thing. Do we, do we clap in church? What are we doing? You know, it's like, it's okay. Is it spiritual? Can I, can I clap in church? Is it okay? Are they going to get prideful? No, we'll be fine. I'll keep, make sure he doesn't get prideful. Yeah, he's good at that. <laughs> Jesus, uh, you are the God of relationship. It was your idea. You created community uh, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are in community. You are community. And so we join you in the work that you're doing. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be set free from ungodly influences and ideas and even the fear of sharing who you are with others. I pray, Lord, that you teach us how to share stories about your goodness, share with others and be vulnerable about what we're praying about and how you've answered prayer. And Lord, that we would just have that long obedience in the same direction. So give us, uh, quicken our minds for creative ideas on how we can love, give, serve, uh, and resource others uh, just to show your love and your watch care. And so I pray a blessing on this family uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great. Prayer, folks, if you'd come forward, we're going to have prayer as we always do down front. I heard from the Bulgaria team. They're having a great time. It was day one of, of camp today, so they are just be praying for our uh, Bulgaria team as they're doing ministry with Spas and Christina. And uh, we will see you next week.